I want us to become brothers again like we used to be, and for us to find ourselves and bond with each other. Can we agree to that? Opinions vary. Welcome to Three Brothers Filmcast. I'm Aaron Bergstrom, and I'm here with my brothers. Anders. And Anton. My last name is the same as my brother's. And this month, we're talking about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the final film in the Indiana Jones series. Okay, ramblers, let's get rambling. In 213 BC, Archimedes spoke to the dial. That could change the course of history. This, we will have our victory. It's not yours. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. Get back. Does the world still need Indiana Jones? That's the question posed by Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the final film in the famous adventure franchise. An almost 80-year-old Indiana Jones, still played by Harrison Ford, has to track down Archimedes' Antikythera, a mechanism that reveals fissures in time, before a Nazi scientist, played by Maz Mikkelsen, and his gang of crypto-fascists can get it first and rewrite history. Indy's aided by old friends, including John Rhys-Davies' Sala, as well as his estranged goddaughter, Helena, played by series newcomer Phoebe Waller-Bridge, of Fleabag fame. His adventure takes him from New York City during the Moon Day Parade in 1969 to Morocco, Greece, and Sicily as he races to find the dial and save history. The film unequivocally answers that yes, the world does still need Indiana Jones. But does our world in 2023 still need Indiana Jones movies? Apparently not so much. Surprisingly, this latest Indiana Jones film bombed at the box office, proving that Disney's nostalgia play that began with Star Wars The Force Awakens in 2015 might have run its course. That film is probably the best comparison for Dial of Destiny. Like The Force Awakens, the film is not written or directed by its series creator, but rather comes from James Mangold and the current Lucasfilm brain trust led by Kathleen Kennedy. It's stylistically similar to the previous films, but not exactly so. For instance, the action scenes lack the clever staging and blocking of Steven Spielberg. But many elements are the same. There's the emphasis on real locations, real history, relatable emotional motivation in the midst of fantastic scenarios, slapstick humor, and lots of accidental escapes and fumbling heroics. John Williams once again does the score, and Harrison Ford, of course, once again stars in it, displaying a clear ownership over the role and the direction of the franchise. Perhaps the most interesting element about Dial of Destiny is that it makes its nostalgic lens a genuine thematic focus for the film. It's a movie that asks whether history matters anymore in a world where men walk on the moon and America has conquered his enemies. Its hero lovingly looks back on the past, devoting his life to the preservation of artifacts and the preservation of knowledge. And perhaps ironically, people nowadays are notoriously ahistorical, contemptuous of the past, proud of their ignorance and happy to erase the entire slate of past accomplishments in order to forward some vague notions of justice and create their utopian tomorrow. Maybe that explains why the movie didn't do so well at the box office. As well, moviegoers themselves are also ignorant of past movies. Do Zoomers even know who Indiana Jones is? Do they care about preserving old artifacts? Separating the legend from the history when it comes to ancient figures like Archimedes? Investigating the ways that American history took advantage of the Nazis, but is still clearly distinct from fascist European history? Does history even matter anymore? And are movies like Dial of Destiny necessary to remind us to look to the past, not only for adventure and entertainment, but also meaning and legacy? 
Something that the Indiana Jones movies do is preserve history through their recreations of the past. They keep people interested in things that happened decades and centuries ago, not only in the styles of adventure serials, but also the ancient legends of antiquity. In a way, they're cinematic monuments to the past. But do they matter anymore? Does the world still need Indiana Jones movies? And do they need this type of Indiana Jones movie? Anton, what are your thoughts on Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny? And do you think there's a place for movies as historically obsessed as Dial of Destiny in our current cinematic landscape? I just got out of the movie a few hours ago. I watched it this afternoon. And I would say that I found it to be an adequate legacy sequel, but not that good. I didn't really like it that much. Um, mo- I, maybe a moderate uh positive review in some sense i was surprised by the fact that i didn't strongly dislike it and i enjoyed myself a fair bit but watching the movie i really found that indiana jones whatever those movies are um is something of the past i rewatched raiders of lost Ark last the the night before in that movie which i love which is an amazing movie looks very much like a film of the past and not a film of the present And so it seemed to me watching Dial of Destiny that this was very much a film torn between two worlds. And I think that partly explains um, the fact that it doesn't seem to please anyone, whether you're, you know, sort of the diehard Indiana Jones fans, whether it's new audiences, they tried to do a few different things, bridge some of those gaps. um, And I don't know if it's entirely successful at doing that. Uh, At the end of the day, it's an okay movie. And I definitely was enjoyed seeing Harrison Ford's portrayal of this great character once again. But I don't think I needed this movie. At the same time, I'm not aggressively annoyed with it or anything like that. How about you, Anders? I think I liked it quite a bit more than Anton did. But I will say, you're you're spot on in saying that this is not uh, necessarily of a piece with the old ones. In that it is definitely a movie of our time no matter how obsessed with the past it is. Um, some of that I chalk up to the difference between James Mangold, who, who is a competent and uh, generally I enjoy his movies, competent director, um, versus Spielberg, who really, you know, along with the other sort of movie brats of that generation, really like understood films of the past. Um, so Anton, you know, you, you mentioned rewatching Raiders, which I had done earlier this year. I also rewatched uh, Temple of Doom, and one thing that I would note about Temple of Doom, which perhaps out of all of them is the most unapologetically a film of the past. You could not make Temple of Doom today. It's, it's yeah, uh, yeah. in the terms of the way people talk today, it's quote problematic, but it is so much really like an adventure serial, like a Gunga Din or, or something like that. Right. But also not just in its topicality but the way it's shot and that's the thing maybe for me that was the most jarring about dial of destiny is not necessarily the the story itself which we can come back to in a second but the way it's shot there's clearly a lot of digital even the the one they shoot on location um and whereas temple of doom and, and and raiders with douglas slocum's cinematography is so classic it looks like one of those like 1950s sort of technicolor uh, adventure films, right? Um, I, in fact, I used Temple of Doom to calibrate my new TV's black levels and, and get it to look like 
uh, an old movie because that's how I want my TV setting. I don't want it super sharp and super clear necessarily. I want the blacks to be just right. I want it to blend into the that cinematic uh, filmic quality, right? So Dial of Destiny lacks some of that. But so what was it you really liked? It. What I really liked. I, I mean, I still really love the character. I just really enjoyed it as a movie. Like, yeah, it's like compared to other Indiana Jones movies, it's probably like no no question it's my least favorite of the five. But if I compare it to other blockbusters that I've seen this year, um, you know, with the possible exception of like Across the Spider-Verse, which is a totally different thing because it's an animated movie and it's very much of this moment. Um, like, I think it's clearly better than most Marvel movies. I think it's uh, it's it's a fun adventure. I, I like the characters. I thought it was funny. I even thought some of the action scenes were, were somewhat inventive, even though they probably have one chase too many and I would have, the film could have probably cut 15 minutes. Uh, you know, that was, it should have been two hours, thing. not two and a half yeah, exactly. hours. I agree. And I think if you had cut that, I think I would have liked the movie even more. I just had a really good time with it. And maybe I watched it with the, our, the rest of our family, our parents and, and my, my wife and kids. That's the and, right and setting all, for like a nostalgia yeah. trip. Then. And they, and they yeah. liked it. Everyone had a good time with it. It was it just felt like a good summer movie. And, you know, Aaron, I want to go back to Aaron's thing about comparing these to the others. Like you're absolutely right though. Like going back to this Mangle versus Spielberg, it's like, there's something once you lose those original creators, not just the actors and, and John Williams doing the score, just like Force Awakens where it like, yes. it's, it just doesn't quite hit right. And my friend, even last night I was talking to him, he said, we agreed, like, it's good, but just like Force Awakens, you know, Lucas drew on classic war movies, John Ford, all this stuff. Spielberg's drawing on classic adventure serials and, you know, swashbucklers and then, and, and, uh, you know, uh, all Gunga those like, adventure John Houston you know all that stuff right and Mangold's just drawing in Spielberg <laughs> yeah just, like, but, but that's Abrams why Aaron is, so the Aaron's reference to Force Awakens is is totally is what's it's going perfect. on so and I like Force Awakens it's, it's, a, it's an adequate legacy original. sequel but like all legacy sequels the reference point isn't the larger cinematic has, history no. the reference point is the previous uh, franchise the original films that they're trying to reignite but Aaron I don't like so how much did you enjoy it? Oh, I I liked it. Yeah. I um I think it actually stands in in kind of market contrast to a lot of modern blockbusters. I I agree with the craft is kind of similar, but I actually think the fact that it's a movie that's not particularly interested in um setting up anything after, the fact that it's very much a last chapter and it's like deliberately so and that despite Spielberg and Lucas not being really involved beyond just like giving their blessing and, and saying have fun kind of thing, um, it meant that Harrison Ford took kind of more of an ownership of this movie. Yeah. And so the kind of artistic driving force of this film is not Mangled or the writers. It's it's Ford and his performance and the way that he's wrestling with this idea of like, where do I want to leave Indiana Jones off at? And that might explain why the film, thankfully sides or actually thankfully corrected what I thought was going to be a mistake with uh, I was really, you know, early in the film after we get the, the, the world war two flashback and we get um, a washed up Indiana Jones who's gone on to, you know, a, a city university, no longer at um, an Ivy league. He's doing his retirement. He lives alone. He's separated from his wife we don't know what happened to his kid at this stage. We find out that Mutt died, I guess, in Vietnam is the presumption. Um, and I was like, oh, my goodness, are they doing like another deadbeat dad? Like we had to turn Han Solo into a deadbeat dad. And now we got to turn Indiana Jones. OK, Indiana Jones 
if we even go back to Crystal Skull or all of his previous stuff, this is not someone who has an upstanding, you know, domestic life. He's he's plagued by just, you know, ruining uh, the women he's with. Um, right, like go, Raiders of the Lost Ark, like Miriam, whatever they had when he was probably, you know, the, the, what the grad student of her dad, like. So it's not that like he's this upstanding guy with women or or with the family, you know. He finds out that he has a kid later on, but I was like, why do we always have to go back to the well and like sully these characters? And I was glad that the movie chose to say that. Well, that's just we're using that as kind of like um, to initiate the arc we're going to give him. And I was very happy to see Miriam come in in the last scene. And, yeah, and then bringing Miriam back. If, if they hadn't yes. done that, I would have been. No, I would have been definitely very... 100% negative on the movie, actually. it. I understand why they didn't bring Mutt back. I don't think it's entirely people hating Mutt. I think part of it is I don't think Shia was going to come back. So Yeah, I don't know if they wanted Shia. I don't know if they should have. But Right. No. And then it works narratively that if there's one thing that you can understand might cause a rift in a relationship, the loss of a child is obviously one of the most traumatic things. Right. Yeah. But I'm so glad that they healed it. Right. Like, cause that would have to me ended on a sour note. I but I think that also that reflects a bit of what Aaron's saying with um, Harrison Ford. Like he loves the Indiana Jones character, right? He's notorious for kind of not liking Han Solo. And I guess he warmed up enough that he was going to do, you know, one one last go and get to kill him off. I don't think it was just a money thing. I think he actually wanted more of like that kind of a death for Han Solo back in like Return of the Jedi anyway. Um, but he's always loved Indiana Jones. And so he clearly was the person who wanted to do like he had been talking about wanting to do a fifth one before he's too old. Um, but I think some of the choices with the characters you know, I'm not sure if Harrison Ford would have signed off on like he just like ends off in runes. I, I was also unclear of like, oh, you're going to do like a Daniel Craig Bond and and kill him off and he's going to stay or, you know, by staying in the past. I'm yeah, actually for, glad for a half did. second. I was not sure they weren't going to leave. Him oh, for yeah, sure. I thought they were Ancient going to. Rome. <laughs> I mean, but I actually this is one of those things is that I find the the ending surprised me, not necessarily in like a narrative sense, but more because it it went against the way that most movies nowadays operate and it went more like a, actually like a traditional proper sequel and more of a, more of a, like an elegant swan song in the sense. Like I, I actually think once they go back, you know, so <laughs> total spoilers. If you're, yeah. Me. If you're listening to this and you don't haven't seen it, I don't know, whatever, who cares? Well, we've already like, spoiled all the endings. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. But like once they go back in time to Syracuse, on Sicily, like 210 BC, and he meets Archimedes, and he's like, I've dreamed about this my whole life. I was like, I thought, okay, one, it was an interesting way to do the time travel. I actually like that it's a surprise, the assumption, because you are you are completely working on the same level as Maz Mikkelsen's character. Like, we are assuming that he's correct the whole time, and that he can go back and kind of play with it, and it's like, no, this thing only takes you back to this one moment. So it feeds into one of the themes in all the Indiana Jones films, and connects with the the hubris of the villains, who think that they understand and can control all things. But but then it's also like, so the movie did a good job of making me assume that, that he was correct, mm. even though, it, you know, that's, that's how the, it always works in these movies, like that the villain's not correct. But it's also then I was like, oh, are they going to, yeah, do they a no time to die thing? Are they going to do these other movies where it's like, I actually always kind of get annoyed when, when characters needlessly sacrifice themselves. I'm like, you're mm-hmm. not, there's no gain here. But, and you've, but you've, I understand the want where it's like, you're at your dream moment in the past. Why wouldn't you want to just kind of stay and like, 
this is my dream because come true. Why would as I? As far as he's concerned, he has nothing left in the 21st century. He yeah. feels so out of place. Like, I, I do kind of like, there's little, but that's the I movie. Kind of so the message then is trying to, the movie's trying to say he does have some meaning. Right. Exactly. Still, right? That's the people why he, he loves to... are the people that matter. Yeah. But that so, that's resurrect. what I mean is that that's yeah. the kind of message that I'm actually a little surprised the movie make because a lot of other movies nowadays don't make those kind of messages. Yeah. You could have done a very easy heroic death. Yeah. Where it, but it also is one of those things. Substantial. So getting into a, we can get into this in a moment, right after this. But like, it also is extending a like if Helena does not bring him back and kind of force him to resolve his relationships with Marion, she's not redeemed as a character either, right? Because she's not and actually she, not a very good person. No, she's not. <laughs> she's and kind she, of actually more like him when he was young too, in a lot of ways. Well, yeah, she's like even she's, more, maybe even more so. More, well, she's even Lord. more. She's, she's like more of a what, Belloc. Yeah, she's what he character like what India's always slandered as being uh, a grave robber. Right. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory. And he is to some extent in the sense that he, you know, he. He steals things from graves, sells them to a museum. But Indiana Jones was clearly never doing this about getting, you know, cash. That belongs in a museum. The motivation, the motivation was the obsession with the, it's almost like a collector more in the obsession with history. Yeah. So just the, the idea that it kind of, it resolves the arcs for the characters. It has a hopeful ending, but not an ending that like is spinning out some kind of spin off stuff, which I mean, of course they could, if they really wanted to, they could have a Helena and Teddy movie. Right? But they're not going because the box. They're not going to because. But I don't like think there's really that ap- much appetite. Like they tried no. it last time with being like we yeah. could have made more mutt movies, and they yeah, picked up the hat. Right. Like, well, I'm glad that they. So okay, one, I'll say that I think your um, the comments about the ending make me warm up to the movie a little bit more in the sense of I think the movie deserves credit as being a competent blockbuster. An adventure and you know even if i think it pales versus the other ones even kingdom of the crystal skull um it's still not like a bad movie i wouldn't say it's a bad movie just to be clear um and you're i think you're making me like some of what it's doing better um yeah but i like but there are elements of the movie that i'm uncomfortable with mm-hmm. yeah one of them is the film's kind of attempts to rectify the mistakes of the the perceived mistakes of previous films, specifically Temple of Doom, by leaning into a variation of it. So like Temple of Doom is the most derided and it's all about ethnic stereotypes. Also like, has that's some of what, the biggest defenders, but OK. No, but that's what like people complain about the fact that it's racist. They complain about the fact that it has no real interest in having like strong female care, like this kind of modern sense of a strong female character. No interest yeah. in it. Doesn't care. Willie's a complete yeah, the, the Willie's completely um, helpless and yeah, freaks and, out intensely she's a complete hysterical nut and that's like played for laughs and so it's like okay helena is this kind of um roguish very independent woman very morally ambiguous very competent um is not like a bit of a mary sue yeah not a but not a traditionally like beautiful woman but also like has like a sexual edge to her and she like she like is very comfortable in her own skin which like and she gives it back as hard as she gets it you know and, but then she has, for some reason, her own short round, Teddy. Yeah. Teddy. Who's as like, as I, by the way, as soon as they introduce him in the hotel in Morocco, p- pretending, learning how to fly a plane, I was like, oh, he's going to fly a plane at some point. Oh, of course. <laughs> That's why you do that. But then, but even like the whole chase scene with her, like 
ex-fiance <laughs> and it's just like oh these like these dirty north africans are gonna be like cutting her head off because he like betrayed them who like i'm i'm just like wait okay so is this just hollywood saying that like we don't want to be racist in this way but we, we're fine with this and it, it's just like it's, yeah, a very it's trading weird, into another stereotype a stereotype right? of like yeah. north african uh, yeah, yeah and man yeah, yeah. It's just it's that those kind of things where I'm like it seems reactionary in the in the truest sense where it's like reacting against the other but without a more understanding of like what are you rooting this in you just seem to be like flipping something you're um, making me want to go back and defend Temple of Doom well but no I, I, love, I love Temple of Doom <laughs> I love but that's Temple a different of Doom story. but here's the thing that uh, well, yeah it's a different story and the other thing I'd actually exactly. note is whenever we want to talk about um, sequels to originals and, you know, when we're talking about star Wars and the prequels and the sequels, and now we're getting, you know, essentially, I think we kind of agree that uh, we have the original trilogy. Um, Kingdom of the crystal skull is essentially the prequel. Like even though it takes place afterwards, it plays kind of like the Lucas prequels. Absolutely. absolutely. And then this one is the, very well. the Disney sequel. Um, and I think that we, but, e- but even more Lost different Crusade than star Wars. Yeah. Yes. Even more different than star Wars. Uh, Temple of the Doom, my perception was that growing up, I knew many people who didn't like Temple of Doom, yeah. who absolutely oh, yeah. loved Raiders of the Lost Ark, who loved Last Crusade, often liked Last Crusade best, and didn't particularly care for Temple of Doom, didn't really watch it. And that had nothing to do with kind of like fan culture. It was just like a thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so when people talk about like, you know, we had the first, you know, backlash to Crystal Skull and people were like, there's only three Indiana Jones movies. I'm sort of like, you know what? I never really got the sense that like everyone was on board already no. for Temple and people of Doom. Just, some people I think people are just Last remembering Crusade how much everyone loves the first one. But everyone just loves the Sean Raiders, Connery, yeah. Uh, yeah, Dr. Jones. Exactly. Um, the other the thing about Temple of Doom also is like, I, I was one of those weirdos where there were times when I said Temple of Doom was almost one of my favorites, but the, the, that's because I, I liked the extremity of it. I liked the, the provo- provocation. It's the most scary. The, it's the scariest. It has the, uh, I loved the, the I liked short round, uh, but I also like, it even had like rewatching it. It has probably the most like, uh, like it has like the whole like sex comedy bit when they're like yep. going back and forth between the bedrooms, which is very funny. Um, it's like, funny. It's super it's funny. A, it's more of a, com- it's actually pretty much a straight comedy. It's kind of the first, the first half. Old, is like, well, it's, no, it's not a comedy. And then it becomes it's a just, horror film, right? It's when op- Indy's possessed and stuff. It's like operating that. on those, genuine 1930s rhythms in yeah. which if it's a movie that's an entertainment it's supposed to be like super funny or super scary yeah. or su- it's yeah. everything's amplified most movies an they aren't willing to go there and these old adventure movies if you go if you think king kong and there's numerous other ones um the adventurer hero and the woman that he's going to be romantically connected with they like have to passionately hate each other. At yeah, the it's start. like a Howard Hawks like, type thing, yeah. right? Like it's like the more that they hate each other, that's how you know that they actually like that each other. Both, I would argue that both Star Wars, Empire, Raiders, Temple of Doom do a Ford Hawks exchange in both of them. But that's hmm. another thing. We're not yeah. talking about yeah. Dial of Destiny. Yeah, no, but um, so by, back to Dial of Destiny, my comment is that the treatment of Helena and aspects of the plot in which she's involved, I'm mixed on. Yes. And it's as partially because I don't know if I really like Waller Bridge as a performer, but that's, but I also, I don't really think the character is like poorly written or anything. And I think the, the fact that they clearly invest in an arc that like resolves in a satisfactory manner proves that there's more to the character than just this kind of like, yeah, this, this classic um, reactionary Hollywood approach to what, female characters specifically yeah. i think reading right? her in indy's past uh having her dad be uh, the toby jones character from the, the the opening sequence 
and how he kind of was driven crazy by the Antikythera era. But the problem, uh, Antikythera, the pro- yeah. No, I agree. So they they do an okay job at at tying her into the world because the film invests a lot of time on that initial sequence back in World War II. But it mm-hmm. does raise the problem. Uh, I would say on a conceptual level, like um, I don't know why Helena exists in the Indiana Jones world, and the only reasons I understand why they added her in. Like they only make sense to me as like a, a corporate boardroom where we're like, we need to have like a a smart, capable woman, young woman who's going to be like the sidekick. Because like my part of the problem with the film is that you're like, you have to create a character from scratch that we have no, you're doing a legacy sequel and you, you're going to create a character from scratch that we have no attachment to and then try to say that they're... Um, like the new kind of like the new hero sidekick and like this is the same problem i think um with crystal skull and i i don't dislike mutt the way like some people hate him but i also find that most films don't do a good job of ever bringing in kind of like the kid or the younger sidekick who's going to kind of like um take over in a sense and a lot of it has to do with that you're like we're not going to see this movie because of helena and no one who watches fleabag is going to see dial of destiny and you know, I, I would say Except like my, my wife, wife my <laughs> wife quite liked the character. She likes the Fleabag show, and she like she liked aspects of the Helena character. But I just think it's like it's sort of a weird choice on a basic level. You're like, why did you create this character to be like the central character in this film? Why couldn't we just uh, I will have say, a, how about a movie this? about this? Is, you know, there was a, in a certain sense, given every recent thing, there was a lost oh. opportunity to bring back Short Round, uh, an immense, a forty-year-old Short Round as I, like. I'm sure the, the production timeline right? does not match up yeah. with the success. Well, because this was canceled, it everything. was started before COVID, and okay. they had to stop filming twice during COVID. To, uh, but now so. that we have this, and now that you know uh, Kihi Kwan like came back, it's such a missed opportunity. It would have been such a good movie if we had just had indie. In short round, in short round, grown up like that would have like been a, yeah forty year old been awesome. That would have been so good. Oh, I agree. Maybe he and has emigrated to America. He's living in New York City. You know, yeah. no, like, honestly, stuff, like. no. You could essentially take the entirety of Helena, like the emotional plotting, and just give it to short round. Yes, and you don't need then the Toby Jones because uh, you already have the emotional uh, in yeah. association. It's that they are scared of touching Temple of Doom as the the thing to tie everything to. And they, it is the, it is the current Hollywood dictates of. Indiana but they're missing Jones out on the effects of the male, so we need. No, no, of course it's 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 usually a missing. But it's, this is why Anton's comment about like a boardroom dictate makes mm-hmm. sense. And this is a thing in Hollywood. It's in with Disney and it's with Sony and a lot of these producers. They they specifically love Phoebe Waller Bridge. Like she comes in and does script rewrites. Did, I don't think she did on this one though. Well, she, she probably did, did a rewrite. Okay, she wasn't she's credited. credited. But, yeah, no, okay. but the same way, like No Time to Die. <laughs> yeah, she. No, <laughs> oh, she so that's did why a... we have. That's why we have on the. So essentially, she's redoing the ending of No Time to Die. Instead of we didn't get a sequence where he like lays back on the beach and the in the Roman fire just flies down and it, it <laughs> yeah. goes all white on the screen, like. And then they're so all toasting is... him back in New York. Yeah. yeah. To James. 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 But this is a, an example, I think, to tie it back to some of my initial points, is that this movie is interestingly, it's most interesting in the fact that it is a movie profoundly obsessed with things that are no longer in vogue. Yeah. And yet, 
as a movie, as a Hollywood object, it is held back by the dictates of now, which actually have nothing but contempt for the way movies were. That's why there's a there's, there's a contradiction built into the film. Yeah, it's it, it in some sense like um, it it's trying to do two different things. Yeah, and like and so like again, I I actually don't think Waller Bridge is bad. She's not no. my type of performer or anything, and Helen the character is fine. It's just yeah, she yeah. gets no, too much agree. of the weight of this plot and. And it's held back by the fact that there's no prior association with the character or no like star power on her sense, what makes us automatically invested in it. And it in doesn't some other lean, sense. She's just so, genuinely not a big enough star. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what I find, what I, so, okay. I would say I've, again, I found myself sort of like mo- uh, moderately surprised that I didn't dislike Helena's character. Mm-hmm. When I th- saw the, like what they were going to do, I was like, eh, like, I don't know if I need this. Why is she in this movie? Um, but I found that the film, Again, toward, towards its contradictions, it doesn't lean into the strengths of Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and it doesn't lean into Helena's strengths as a character. So she's best when it's like the scene um, in Morocco, like at the the casino where she's trying the to yeah the uh, the auction right, and she's trying to sell things. So her strengths is like you know she has some of the witty lines. Um, she she can push back against whatever Indiana Jones wants she's to say. She's kind of a classic or anyone British else. kind of like, you know, fan character who can like dish, exactly. Yeah, and so and, and she's also yeah. like she the has wit, wit exactly. so she uses that, you know, a, a really good scene showing her strengths is when she talks through all um she's explaining the cipher and at the same time she's yeah, getting her dynamite behind her ready. And I was like, that this is like where the character's strengths are. You know, mm-hmm. you're being witty in a scenario. She, she, that's how she exerts power. Professor Schmidt, how nice to meet you in person. Sup, man. 150. After our conversation, Michelle, I thought we'd come to an agreement about the dance. Funny, the last time I saw the other guy who looks like you, he was also after this. Your numbers were light, Professor Schmidt, but good news is you're here now. The bid is one You don't seem to understand, Michelle. This relic is my property. It's not yours. You stole it. Then you stole it. And then I stole it. It's called capitalism. The bid is 160. 160. 170. You should have stayed in New York. 170. You should have stayed out of Poland. 170. Anyone? Anyone? Going. Going. Gone. What I don't find believable is all of a sudden she can ride a motorbike and jump onto a plane. Agreed. And my thing is like, you know, people will be like, well, Indiana Jones can do that. He's just a professor. And you're like, well, okay. But he's already been shown to do it in like three, four films. Yeah. But also, it's just like, you know, what would be, we never even got a sense that she like raids tombs. Like, you know, like, I'm not like, you just didn't really establish that she's some sort of uh, her physical prowess, that she goes around and like fights people and stuff. You've established yeah, that she's kind of a notorious yeah. type person. That, but that's right, a kind of about, a classic modern movie thing, though, it too. Is. It is. Any, anyone, if if this plot needs it, anyone can jump on a motorbike and just like yeah. leap and like And it's the best thing, ass, sorry, before you, know, you yeah. before you step in there, just last comment on this, is that it's funny because, again, this is another one of those aspects where the movie is not entirely reconciled to itself, which is the fact that this movie still leans into indie taking a beating constantly Mm -hmm. and fumbling like the opening scene the prologue there's aspects of it that i'm not like the de-aging whatever we can get if we want it's i don't really care that much about talking about it it is what it is because you can't recast them at this point but um it's like when he's going to be hung and the bomb falls through and they have the gag and they're all kind of (laughs) stop and watch and then it falls further and it blows up and he survives it by only the fact that he's literally being hung currently. And then he's like swinging around, but he has to get out at the last moment. Like Indy 
still in this movie, it understands that like, yeah, Indy's this awesome hero who only survives by the skin of his Sheer teeth. Sheer dumb luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All the time. All the time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Let's talk about the opening because that'll bridge me into something which I think is the strength of the film. Um, I was mostly like, you can talk about the ethics of de-aging. We can talk about that. I think they've got the technology improved in many ways. It's like, improved, it but looked, I still don't buy it. It still looks. Okay, Anton, I thought of you because I think that the biggest f- fault is that he still sounded like old Indian. Yep. Right? The voice doesn't match in some of the movements. It's a bit of the yeah, Irish some of the movement syndrome that you talked well, about, right? It, it's uh, the it's visual. It looks like deep fake. Yeah, but the visual is pretty good. It's pretty accurate. Like, I was, <sighs> I was pretty impressed with that part. I, I actually wasn't. I still think it. I think it's just real. the uncanniness of the mismatch of the voice and the movements with the visual. I think if you took a still shot of the visual, it's pretty impressive. But within movement, there's something about it when you have that within movement, like it doesn't look right. Like the way there's a point where he grabs some food and like he's supposed to be eating it, yeah. and it doesn't look like like a, a face eating. I think though that like at this point, if you're going to do it in 1945, you kind of can't recast it, right? Like not the way like you did like river phoenix no like and actually one interesting thing i thought about this film and maybe we can talk about when we talk about again the whole idea of like indie meeting like are actually meeting our communities and stuff like that you're like if you are someone like me who's watched a lot of like even the old young indiana jones chronicles back in the 90s which i'm very like disney please put those on disney plus i want to watch them again and why don't have copies like because they they you know because they were proving grounds for uh, the prequels, but also I love that like Indy, you know, in the very first episode is a like eight year old meets Lawrence of Arabia, you know, like stuff mm-hmm. like that. Like he's Matt now Hari, he famous meets all these meets, exactly. I love that. Like in, <laughs> Indy is a little bit of a Forrest Gump character now, <laughs> but the uh, like so I have no problem with that because it's already built into what Lucas's conception of it, right? Uh, in the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. But I think at this point, people aren't going to accept a, a stand-in for Harrison Ford at that point. And I'm actually glad that they never decided to like redo Indiana Jones with, I don't know, like some other actor. Chris Pratt. Yeah. That was the oh, thrown around. God, that would have been... It was thrown around. Bad. That's a bad idea. Well, yeah. Chris, just think this I like movie, Chris Pratt, but he shouldn't yeah. be... No, Chris Pratt can do his own thing. <laughs> this but, movie is... Well, you go and I'll go on yeah, to that part. But yeah. like... It was kind of fun watching like another World War II scene with like Indiana Jones. And the main thing that this movie does for me is like Mads Mikkelsen was born to be an indie villain. He is perfect as Waller. He is like, and he does both the transition from like the, the being like a, you know, a Nazi in 1945 to being the Werner von Braun character in the 60s. I, I, I think he's actually really oh, yeah. in the role. And I've actually even watched some of the interviews with him. Like he talks about how much he's like, I've studied the history of you know, like the way that these Nazis were uh, incorporated oh, the both into American, <laughs> you know, Operation Paperclip, and also they worked obviously for the Soviets. They worked for other groups, and he's like, and he's like, he studied. He actually studied photos of von Braun and how he had, he had the cool glasses and the wavy hair. And I'm like, man, Mickelson is like, I think the best part of the movie. In my so Mickelson's a very good villain, but the film doesn't provide like. I don't think that I think that the film was like lacking overall in terms of like the actual villainy. Oh, but like it has he, amazing he's a good central, henchman too. No, but he's it. a good central villain, but he isn't like so if you were going to go with sort of the Nazi spies angle, you're like why why don't we have like more characters? Like you should have gone into like a notorious type thing where I get like you know what I mean like mm. some sort of a sense of a network of like these Nazi spies. Like why aren't we in South America getting some like posh Nazi guy living down there. Like there's a lot of possibilities they did and they settled on a, 
they settled on the so the scientist character fine and then, and then the just like a couple of henchmen guy. yeah and you're like to me it's just like partly it it's not what doesn't work for me is that usually indiana jones is overwhelmed by the odds it's like you know indiana jones he's climbing onto a u-boat you know he's uh riding off on a horse against you know several trucks and cars full of guys alone and in this you're like it's four versus like one on a on a so it's a it's a you know it's a it's a race quest so we have two parties trying to find the same object but it's like small scale Mm -hmm. and i understand with the timeline that they can't just have like nazi soldiers everywhere or something like this but i do feel like it means that indiana jones is like fighting a couple other guys and he's not stacked up against the large odds we only get that in the opening sequence but there's an interesting thing where for the middle part of the movie until like Voller basically breaks with the U.S. government, he's got the government agents working for him too, right? They don't realize that he's going to betray them as well. No, but it was very unclear. I just thought it was poorly done about articulating what's going on with that. Like, you know what I mean? So you're like, if just if you're going to try and say that the government is using him and is fine with that, like we should have had more characters we need some suits to come in like because they were just using um, the one uh, like black woman, like CIA agent is like mm-hmm. the only bridge. And like it would have been more effective. Like if you want to sell me that the government's actually behind this, we need a couple of these like boring suits to come into the room and like have a conversation with him and like things like this. Yeah. It just like overall, I was unclear on like what like what's the relationship between all these pieces? It is it is kind of funny that it, um, it like assumes familiarity with like Operation Paperclip and mm-hmm. and just the fact that like Nazis built the rockets <laughs> for yeah. the space missions that you would just know it, um, which is funny for an Indiana Jones movie when they actually kind of like fall over themselves explaining to the history that a kid would understand. Did you guys ever go to Sunday school? Yeah, well, you should have had a scene where he's like, "Didn't you hear about Operation Paperclip?" <laughs> No, exactly. Like you know, yeah. you needed you needed more of that kind yeah. of stuff. And even overall, even the movie doesn't do a great job. The scene when he's getting job. like hosed off of the radiation after the radiation, right? Where they explain like yeah. why the government even doesn't trust him one hundred percent. Well, exposition wise, so this movie is half People an hour too long. People complain about exposition, but it doesn't give enough. No, no, it, it's it's half an hour too long, but it has too little of the proper ex- exposition we need. So you actually need an Indiana Jones sequence. Like this is like a Lucas thing. Like Spielberg does it too. But yeah, sometimes you actually have to have the conference scene where we all sit down mm-hmm. and you tell us like this is the mission or like this is like what we're looking for. And mean, there's like, not Top a lot Maverick of did where they explain clearly the goals of the mission. Yeah, but they they don't even give us the like play by play like Robert Langdon style like indie explaining things about the history. Partly yeah, because the character he's talking to knows the history just as well as exactly. him. But the audience doesn't, and so I feel like the the impact of you know, you mentioned, Anders, that you're like, oh, I was looking up that this dial's like, you know, kind of like a, a legendary artifact. You're like, why isn't that? That should well, be Well, I knew about it before. Me. That's all, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But that ties into, okay, that ties into something else that I don't like about the movie. Or I don't know if it's, should I, it, it's probably not that I just don't like it. It's a deficiency in the film. And it shows what I would say is a, a lack of awareness about the themes of the other Indiana Jones movies. Mm-hmm. The other Indiana Jones I probably agree movies, with you on this are interested in an engagement with the transcendent yes even and this movie does not have that this movie re under reinterprets indiana jones relationship to archaeology as being primarily about like science 
and like so he's he's historical he's a historian he's an archaeologist but it's like a scientific pursuit of knowledge that's always been an aspect but you forget when he's introduced in Raiders of the Lost Ark Dr. Jones expert in the occult yes exactly. and this movie is afraid of bringing in the occult because the occult is not popular nowadays but I love that well it is but in a positive sense yeah but yeah. okay so the interesting thing well occult isn't secret knowledge but like transcendent no but I'm saying that like all that kind of all that kind of all the people that would be villains in past indie films are now like the people who would be complaining about the movie being racist yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the the funny thing is, like, I, for many years there was someone on a message board that you know I, I was part of who often talked about how the Indiana Jones films, if you put them in chronological order, are also about a, a certain religious uh, progression. You have from like the the polytheism of like Hinduism, like the Vedic to Judaism, yeah. to Christianity, to New Age slash like alien type stuff. It actually progresses in that way. Well, right? I wouldn't this think kind Crystal of Skull's up. New Age at all. No, but it is about like aliens and like other dimensions and like a science kind of scientifies it's a religious it's like a, idea. Well, it's like that like a uh, ancient apocalypse. Like it, yeah, exactly. It's all about right? the but connections it's like, between but it's the kind of like natural and post Christian like, sort of in that sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think it kind of is. Um, and the this one kind of like undoes that neat narrative like progression through the films if you wanted to do that i mean that's an idiosyncratic reading but the other thing is though like as you say though um in the other indie films like the stuff that he's experienced he shouldn't be so like credulous or uh incredulous at this point even my son was like the the worst line in the movie is when he's like and maybe it isn't what you know. What you believe is how hard you believe it. He just rolled his eyes at me, and he was like, "Well, you, you've he literally seen yeah. an eleven-year-old boy laughed out loud in the theater at that line because he thought it was silly." And he's like, "This guy's literally seen God." Like, what, yeah, that was literally probably about? that was in the script rewrite. They literally someone came in and said, "Like, we have to insert this line that we can't." You know, like, it's just it's such an. But it's actually nonsensical. It's actually line. just nonsensical, even within the context of this film. Well, in the context of this film. It applies to Voller and his belief if I will yeah. believe Nazism properly and I'll do it properly. I believe it hard. Hitler did not do it correctly. Like I'll do it right. But like that's by 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 the film's understanding, he ha- is, has a credible like belief system because he believes it hard enough. Yeah. <laughs> like you know he just no, he's like yeah. Hitler just didn't understand it and like we were going to do Hitler it was right. just a bad strategist. If I was that guy, I could make the Third Reich actually win. But okay, but here's the but this also ties into a Please major take thing with context. Indiana Jones. <laughs> There's a major thing with Indiana Jones is that, okay, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the greatest action movies, maybe the greatest action movie Adventure of films ever, yeah. And action but sequences, yeah. at the end, it has the most deus ex machina mm-hmm. you can literally. get in a movie. It literally has God in a box, destroy all the villains. In, you know, um, all of the movies, even Crystal Skull, so the, the villains are hubristic, they misunderstand what the thing that they think is going to, they think whatever device that they find will give them power and then they misunderstand it and it actually destroys them. All of them. Yeah. All of them. Well, uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're dealing with stones, like the Judeo Christian yep. God or, exactly. or you're dealing with, um, you know, uh, Spalco, Hindu spirituality. Uh, Spalco like, opens up the thing and is destroyed by the interdimensional beings. Yeah. Because what the message is, is that there's like, there's forces in the universe that are beyond us. Humans will be, proud try to control them people like hitler who are obsessed with the occult think this will give them like a special super weapon and that will destroy them and this is why um crystal skull is great to bring in the atom bomb because that's what mm-hmm. the atom bomb is doing exactly them. um 
but this movie turns it into a uh, kind of like a celebration of like human ingenuity through the character of Archimedes because he's de- built this device. And at the end, it's like, oh, this is so amazing. This device you've built. And there's actually nothing that's beyond ultimately beyond like the it there's beyond the villain's control but not really beyond like the character's control like there's no surrender to a transcendent but spielberg was like obsessed with this because this is the ending also of like um um close encounters mm-hmm. where again it's like the movie's about like a surrender to a transcendent and you're like this is clearly a thing that's in indiana jones and they seem to not understand that and this is partly why i think the occult or something there has to be something strange and beyond human knowledge, human understanding. Because what Indiana Jones is interested in is not just history, not just history, but what's like beneath yeah. history. And like One thing I love sp- about Crystal Skull is Kate Blanchett's Spalko is not only just like like a good like Soviet agent, she's also like a psychic and like yeah, all yeah. that stuff. Like it makes her super like weird and creepy. But then and it I tries it. to, you know, it like there was during the Cold War, you know, you have these intelligence agencies trying to tap into you know, uh, psychic training stuff, yeah. to defeat defeat the enemy. The other side. Yeah. No, I agree, Anton. That's a good. It's a good reading. I think this is another one of those. It's not to excuse it because it. This makes it very clear that this is not a Spielberg movie. Yes. And in, so that means that in a profound way, it is not of a piece with the other Indiana Jones movies, even if it still is a historical adventure, and it still has the hubris of the villain defeating him because mm-hmm. he thinks he can control history as a concept, and then history itself through the Romans attacking Syracuse, kill them. <laughs> and it's, so it's not like Archimedes is like a, um, a being with like control of that situation. Although either yeah. he's helpless to the powers of the time Fisher. He's like, it's pre and after, right? It's, it's more of like the meeting of the night in last crusade in that sense. Well, does the movie create a, uh, it's time so loop is this, then. is it a, a time loop movie? Right. right? Because like, yeah. they're like, what he'll defeated... get the pieces. He'll get the watch yeah, and the stuff watch. because they were there. Okay. Yeah. And that's why he puts the, and that's why, that's his... why Voller's watch is in Archimedes tomb in Syracuse. Right? Okay. So I guess in maybe an abstract sense, you could say that time is beyond is, is like the, no, I agree that there's no know. transcendent aspect, but what it does is it still has that reverence for the fact that the history is real. In the sense that there is the the fantastical aspect of the central object unlocks a truth about something that is beyond us in this present moment, which in this case is the fact that Archimedes was a real person, that the Battle of Syracuse is not a thing you read in a book. It's a thing where real people yeah. died. It's something that is as real as anything you currently experience. And so it, even though it does not transcend human existence, it clarifies the idea of our own ignorance in our present moment and so like it keeps that yeah. kind of framing it just doesn't have the the occult transcendent aspect it doesn't have any religious dimension and it's weirdly rationalist using science as a kind of stand-in for those same feelings assuming yeah. that the audience feels towards science that people 50, 30 40 years ago would feel towards religion which is kind of accurate towards our modern audiences that being said it's not the correct choice for indiana jones as a character yeah and it's partly why the movie like it the movie lacks mystery and it's it's not scary at all and one of the things revisiting raiders reminded me that you're like indiana jones is just as much about car chases and like in fist fights as it is about um like you know sneaking past booby traps like they do some of that so we do get one we do get one cave exploration 
But then there's like just not a lot of like there's such great atmosphere in the other indie movies where you're actually like on edge of like, ooh, this place is a little bit creepy, a little bit like or or I just like don't know like what's gonna pop around the corner, who's here. And there's not a lot of that in this. Like it doesn't sure. have a palpable atmosphere, partly because you're setting it in the United States the first part, you know, on the moon day, which is an interesting choice for like the whole um Nazi scientist aspect that they're bringing in, but it doesn't allow for a lot of like atmosphere to be generated. I mean, but that also adds an extra texture. Like, so the Moon Days thing is important because it's not just about the Nazi scientists helping America. That the idea that American history, American progress, is built on Nazi progress. Like, this is one of those you know occult histories of our modern world that people like to ignore. Right, they have to tidy it up. But then, don't build the Apollo rockets without the V two rockets. Exactly. But then the people also go the other way, which is what I suggest in our opening, where they say like America's built with that. It's all bad. Throw it all out. And it's like Indiana Jones is like, no, that like the whole point of this whole series is like the past is valuable. We have to preserve it. We have to remember it on its terms, not on our terms. Um, The thing about Moon Day is that it's also this moment in time where the type of hero that Indiana Jones represents the tough 1930s and forties guy is no longer the hero, the world that he exists in cares about. They care about those three astronauts. Yeah. Those are the heroes that we care about. The men of science, not the men of action, the men of the future, not the men of the past. So like that's, it's like a thematic thing. Again, it's like this world already in 1969 is past Indiana Jones. Yes. But the sad thing is then that the movie coming out in 2023 kind of, by being made kind of says that, yeah, like kind of the world has moved beyond. Yeah, sadly, this is the confirmation point at the end. And I, okay, so the movie watching it, despite its, you know, aspects of it that don't quite work for me, I still was like heartened by the fact that there's a movie, a big budget movie starring an old actor that seems to have like a genuine love for old things. I like I it made me happy that Hollywood is still willing to spend this amount of money, even if it's through a nostalgic, cynical approach to it, that it's like we're going to make a movie about how it's cool that like an ancient uh, mathematician built like cool stuff. And there is like Roman battles and that we should be interested in this. And this is like a means of being excited about the world we live in and its its possibilities. The thing that depresses me is that constantly throughout the movie, Indy is like, does anybody know history anymore? Like the whole scene where he's talking about like the Battle of Syracuse, come on people, like this is interesting stuff and they don't give a crap. They want to just put the TV on. And the reactions to this movie in our culture, the, the fact that people didn't go see it, the fact that people have such a disdain for the concept of history, like in all aspects. They just want to put the Beatles on, man, and like party. <laughs> but even towards the Beatles, they have this contempt now. Who needs it? My dear girl, there are some things that just aren't done. Such as drinking Dom Perignon 53 above a temperature of 38 degrees Fahrenheit. That's as bad as listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. <laughs> yeah, I did love the, the link where it's like, okay, I can just think of Goldfinger, Connery, yeah. and then it's like, yeah, his dad hated the Beatles, so he hates the Beatles. <laughs> um, or would have hated the Beatles. Um, but it's just like, are we past a world where you can have a movie that's like, oh, hey, kids, like, let's go explore history. Is like, do kids read the um, Magic Treehouse books anymore where like they go back in time to historical episodes? Do like, do children's after school cartoons have ever things set in the past? 
that are actually trying to engage with like the past on its own terms. Well, like no, because it's a flattened version of history, right? It's mm-hmm. only yeah. history is only read as a as mirrors or a, or a wasteland that needs to be ignored. Yeah, totally think, off topic, but this is why like films like uh, Robert Eggers, The Witch, or The Northman are great, is because they actually allow the past to be strange and weird. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, I mean, and they don't have the main characters yeah. be like, you know, they're the hero because they share our modern values, even though it's back then, you know. But that's part of the like the mystery of history mm-hmm. of the past that Indiana Jones has always tapped into, which is one of its pleasures is that you're like, there's so much in the past that is fascinating. There's so much out there beyond what you know. And it's like, it's all there because it's past. Like, you know, there is just so many riches and treasures back there that you can explore. And so, you know, I wish there was more adventures where you like tease out. And that's why like, you know, as ridiculous as they are, I do enjoy my Dan Brown (laughs) because I like, I just like getting like a bunch of historical random facts interspersed with an adventure. Indiana Jones does it in a much better fashion. Um, but I do like like that historical uh, treasure hunt. No, I, I agree. But so like to go back to my initial question where it's it's the thing that I ended my keynote with. It's like, does the world still need Indiana Jones movies? It needs I it, think the, but they don't necessarily want it. Exactly. But and I think that's sad. Like, I, I think we need movies, even movies that are flawed like Dial of Destiny. It's better than the alternative in my mind. And I want more movies that engage with the past as something that is like entertaining and fun and like worth preserving. And this is the other thing with movies of this type. Any movie set in the past in our broader like cultural imagination are acts of preservation. They shape the way we think about the past stronger than any other thing that we engage with. People always be like, yeah, I know it's a movie. It's like, yes, of course. But when you think about the Roman Empire, you think of Gladiator. I'm sorry, you've read seen books. the movie. That's how you think of it. You don't read. You have no interest in other things. And so you suck it up through the culture you engage with. And so I want these cultural properties that are still mass culture properties to actually serve as monuments because we've torn all of our other monuments down. Yeah. And I think it's why the multiverse is the more, like, is the dominant form for, like, it. the multiverse aligns matter. with how how the culture operates now where it's just like yeah everything's kind of like even though it's a multiverse it's actually like a flattened universe and just brings everything together onto the same playing field well remember in every universe and within all these multiverse tales in every universe you are important and you are actually the only thing that really matters and so it's like that's why i come away from a movie like you know everything everywhere all at once and i feel kind of depressed over the message of the movie and other people are like i was bawling tears and it's like yeah but see like this is to flatten this is, your sensibility this is the fundamental importance. difference between me and you it's like i don't see the, i don't find that internal internal confirmation comforting i find it horrifying if i'm the only thing that exists that is depressing but a, a ending of indiana jones and dial destiny i'm like oh he's it's like an affirmation of the people around you and the world that precedes you It's not one at the expense of the other. Elsa never really believed in the grail. She thought she'd found a prize. What did you find, Dad? Me. 
Illumination. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Three Brothers Filmcast. Goodbye, Mr. Bowman. I bid you farewell. <laughs>